Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 276 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 30th, the last day of June 2014. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, both will be on the show. Big topic today, we'll be talking about USC now offering four-year scholarships in the revenue sports. A lot of questions to get to, too. If you have questions or comments, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call us, 206-888-6755. That's our voicemail number. Or you go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. All right, without further ado, let's bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde, back on the mainland. How you doing, coach? Brian, I'm doing great, buddy, and I can't get uh, going fast enough. I tell you, you get a little rest, you get fired up. And uh, I'm ready to go. What do we have? All right. Well, let's jump in there. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, heck, you want to go to the World Cup, fly down to Brazil, check out the USA playing on Tuesday, you can do that at sctickets.com. They got all tickets, all your needs. If you're in Southern California, anywhere across the country, you can get tickets there at sctickets.com. And, uh, Coach, the big news, like we talked about at the top of the show the four-year scholarships. We have an actual voicemail question about USC offering those, so let me uh, play that one for you. Here you go. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, this is Ed Duncan up in the high desert. I haven't called in quite a while. Uh, I was reading the Bleacher Report yesterday, and I was elated when I heard that uh, USC and Pat Hayden was going to start extending four-year scholarships to their athletes in uh, sports that um, um, like basketball and football. I think that's a great move. It was a time when it was necessary to go to one year, but with the technology that's available for schools and the film and all the camps that they see athletes, uh, very seldom schools make uh, major mistakes on athletes now. So you're going to see an avalanche of that now because it's the right move, and I commend USC and Pat Hayden for making it before anyone else did. Okay, gentlemen, fight on. Can't wait for the season to start. Over and out. Well, thank you very much, Ed. We've wondered where you've been. <laughs> so we're glad. Isn't that right, Ryan? Yeah, well, he should have been reading that on uscfootball.com, not on Bleacher Report. You don't need to bother with that. We, had, we, had, we were breaking it first there on uscfootball.com, so just so you know, Ed. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll give you my opinion on all of that, and I'm very happy you called in, Ed, and we'd love you to call in whenever you want to. If you have questions, I'd be happy to answer that. Ryan, first of all, I don't think that's any big news. I mean, everybody's making this out to be something like, oh, my goodness, four-year scholarships. Well, you know, when I coach, and I think still right now the philosophy has always been with any program, that you do have a four-year scholarship. They're renewable every year. They're renewable because of... Uh, the reasons uh, that are in there, like you don't qualify academically or or you've gotten in trouble or, or all these other different or you quit the team. 
so uh you know if someone got hurt on your team you you never you never uh take a scholarship from an injured warrior i mean usc did that with uh, one of their uh linebackers that came out of florida if you remember had a heart condition that kid had a scholarship for four years and i think he's either part of the program now or has wanted to go into med school so you know announcing that we're going to get four-year scholarships heck we've been doing that as long as i can remember now if you're going to give guarantee a kid a scholarship if he comes out as a freshman and quits and says well i'll go to school the next three years no you're going to have things written in that that say if you're embarrass the team or you get in trouble with the law or you break rules within the team, you know, it's, are you going to give them a four-year scholarship? I mean, I, I don't believe that to be the fact. If it is, uh, I think it's crazy. But uh, never, ever did we take a scholarship from a player that we misjudged or forecast in ability. That is not the kid's fault. That is the player's or the coach's fault for misevaluating a player's ability on if he can play on this level. You never humiliate him. You, you, he understands his role. He knows it better than anybody else that he's not up to the playing ability of the other players. So you keep him on scholarship. We've always done that. If you, if you didn't do that, you certainly aren't going to get any players when you go recruiting anywhere. So, you know, everybody got all fired up about that. I, I don't understand what that means uh, unless it means, say, you you come in and you play three years and you go to the NFL, or when you come back you're guaranteed another year scholarship to finish your work. Well, I think that's probably one thing to be good. But then again, you look at it and you say, well, we gave you a four-year scholarship and you left us for a year. You left us when your senior year was coming and you went in the NFL, so you made a decision to go to the NFL rather than finish your scholarship. In a lot of universities, and we had this at UNLV, we had a football foundation, and when kids didn't graduate in four years, they applied to the foundation, and the foundation funded their tuition for them to graduate, even players that went into the NFL. So uh, I don't mean to burst everybody's bubble, (laughs) But I need to. I need someone to explain to me where this is a big deal. Could you explain it to me, or somebody, please call in and explain it? <laughs> yeah, coach. It's really. I think to me, it's a it's a brilliant PR move, but not much more than that. And and Ed, it, it, USC was not the first program to do this either. There's some other programs in the in the Big Ten that have done this. I believe Notre Dame. I have to check on that. Um, Essentially, what it's protecting against is it's not saying that you have a four-year scholarship and you can flunk out and still be on scholarship, or you can go out and commit a felony and still be on scholarship, or you know something like that. You there's you can get you know that it can be you can be removed from the program uh, by doing that. The the really what it's trying to protect against, and it's something that you're never going to really see or haven't seen at USC, is they sign a player. He's not as good athletically as they thought, and they kind of don't renew a scholarship because he's not going to be playing on the team. Now we've, we've seen plenty of players that, uh, you know, USC and I know Ed mentioned that it's hard to miss on athletes. It still happens. It still happens quite a bit. Um, USC's not been pushing the limits as far as oversigning and being over 85 scholarships and have to like get rid of some people. Like we've seen with some of the programs down in the SEC to be, to be frank about it. And uh, Dan Weber later on the show actually has a bunch of numbers. He can kind of, uh, get with you on that. But really what we're talking about here is if USC signed a guy 
who ends up being just terrible. He's just not going to play. He's going to be taking up a scholarship for four years. And you know after one, he's never going to see the field. USC say, we're going to honor that scholarship. We gave it to you for one year. You're going to keep it for four. So as long as you want to stick around, you might want to go somewhere else where you can play, uh, whatever. But if you want to stick around, they're going to honor that scholarship. So that's really all it's protecting against coach. And like you said, I don't think it's a big deal because we've never seen USC get rid of a guy after a year or two because he couldn't play. They usually just kind of stick around and, 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 you know, and ride it out. But it's not something I think that's going to change anything that happens with USC. But I think perception wise coach recruits see this as a, as a bigger deal because, Hey, it's four years, but in reality, it really hasn't happened before where someone got kicked out at USC after a year or two. Oh, it made headlines in the times. It made headlines on ESPN. That just shows you how much those guys really know. Yeah, you know, when yeah. you headline something like that, well, yeah, that's a great thing, but it's been going on for years. I mean, what coach would cut a player that he made a mistake on in recruiting and survive that at the areas of the high school level as far as coaches saying, hey, don't send anybody there because they're not going to honor it. They're worded any good. So, you know, FC's been doing that for years. So what's the big deal? I mean, uh, you said a PR move. It's a PR move, uh, except for people who know what's really going on. So, you know, I don't mean to, like I said, uh, crush everybody's excitement, Ed. I'm sorry, Ed, but uh, it's something that's been there. Yeah, it definitely has. And uh, it's, I, I I just think, Coach, when you it you haven't heard other schools really talk about this because I think they also feel that it's not a big deal. I like what USC did, though, by putting out a press release and, and making headlines. I did, you know, radio interviews, you know, national radio interviews talking about this and, and kind of said the same thing that we've said here where really it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, on the, on the PR scale, it, it is a kind of a big deal. So it's something I think that USC coming out of these sanctions has to try to do whatever they can to get recruiting going again and get them back up to 85 scholarships. I don't think this is something that can hurt knowing that recruits know this, and it could be a competitive advantage against other teams you're recruiting against. No, I don't know if it's an advantage or not, because everybody says the same thing when you recruit. But uh, I just go back to my statement. I'm going to make this statement, Ryan. For you to be on national radio shows and to talk about this, the people asking you these questions, they weren't aware of this? Is this big news? (laughs) So what I'm saying, when you read in the newspaper and and listen to a lot of these uh, interviews, Guys, take it with a grain of salt, half the things they say, because it isn't factual. And, and Ed, I'm glad you asked this question. For all of our listeners out there, this is the way it is. I haven't seen anybody write it this way. I haven't heard anybody say it this way. Now, Ryan, maybe you did. I hope you did to set people straight. But let's say it the way it really is, and that's why I hope you like this podcast, because I tell you guys the way it really is. What you do, coach, and with, <laughs> I like well being a former coach too. I mean, that's never something that came across. You, you never cut anyone when you were at UNLV, because, but you had guys or that come in. Somebody got hurt forever. He was on scholarship yeah. all four years, ever, forever. He's a warrior. He's a he's a one of our warriors that went down. We're going to get rid of him? Are you kidding me? He's a hero to us. What about players that didn't? Uh, they just you know weren't going to play like and you it was a freshman comes in and you're like man we we missed on this guy it's I mean, what what would happen in a situation like that well i wouldn't have to tell him that he would know that himself as far as his abilities out there 
he would probably, if he wanted to, come in and talk to me about, Coach, how come I'm not playing? Or, Coach, you know, I'm in over my head here. And I would say, it's not your fault. He said, I said, you can evaluate talent like I can evaluate talent. We are not going to move you or not re-scholarship you. If you would like to transfer, I would release you and always help you find a school where you can play football. Otherwise, you can count on being here. Yeah. And kids appreciate you being honest with them, not saying, oh, next year, next year's your year. <laughs> next year, I can really see it. You're really going to, you're going to break it out. You know, you're a late bloomer. I mean, you know, you've got to be honest with kids, because if you lie to kids, then that's where kids don't like you. Yeah. But you lie to them. No, makes sense, Coach. And uh, we had one kind of follow-up thing here. Andrew wrote this question. He says, with USC offering four-year scholarships, how are they not getting uh, all the top players? And, Andrew, I think hopefully we kind of answered that. It's really not that big of a deal. It doesn't change anything. And since they've been doing this scholarship thing for about a week, uh, I don't think recruiting is going to change all that much in a week. But I think USC is doing pretty well recruiting, you know, signing those four players on signing day. And it's going to be a big class of 2015 as well. But, I, like, you know, like we just talked about, and Coach can comment on it too, I, I don't think it's going to make that big of an impact, but it's certainly not going to hurt. No, it's not. I haven't seen anybody commit since that came out. So it's a week, not that, yeah. huh? <laughs> a week in in late June. I don't think you, not a lot's happening usually right now. No, I haven't seen a lot of people call up and say, "We'll take that deal," because <laughs> he's got that deal everywhere else. So yeah. you know, it's a nice if you want to call it PR move. But uh, maybe Pat Hayden didn't know that was happening and I, uh, discovered it all of a sudden. Yeah, but, it's, uh, huh? yeah, it's interesting to see what you know what Pat Hayden's thoughts on this were. The coaches weren't really commenting a whole lot. Dan Weber got Steve Sarkeesian to comment a little bit, and he wrote a column soon after it came out. And you know they weren't really aware of oh this could be a recruiting advantage or things like that. But I do kind of I'm going to give Pat Hayden credit on this one, where it's if you can do something that's really not that big of a deal and it can get a lot of national attention and make it look like a big deal, especially to recruits then that's good. It's kind of like you're you're putting in a little of investment and getting a lot back out of it. Whatever you think, Ryan. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on from that. I know you're not – it's really not changing that much, and I completely get you, Coach. But PR-wise, a lot there's a lot of people writing in and people calling in that don't really know that this is really how it works. So, um, you know, it could, it could be a, a big deal for USC down the road. But in actuality, I agree with you, it isn't. Uh, let's see. Let's go to – well, one more voicemail question for you. Here you go, Coach. Hey, Ryan, this is Tarek in Salt Lake City. I had a question for Coach Hyde. Back when this recruiting class was signed, he said that he would prefer if Adore Jackson and Juju Smith were playing on the defensive side of the ball. He even mentioned uh, Juju Smith playing cornerback, which I thought was interesting considering that Juju played safety in high school. I was just wondering if he still felt that way or maybe after seeing these summer workouts, he thought maybe Juju should be on the offensive side of the ball and Adoree on the defensive side of the ball since Adoree's done well there. Uh, Secondly, I wanted to know where does Cody Kessler need to take his game so that he can be one of the top quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and be in contention to um, lead this team to a Pac-12 and possibly a national championship. Uh, Love the show. Fight on. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for uh, calling in. Uh, he tweeted me, and I said, call it in so I could uh, answer it uh, on the air for everyone. Oh, nice. 
and uh, I want to thank him for being a part of our podcast and asking that question. I did say exactly what he said uh, earlier in the recruiting process when they signed and when we were doing podcasts. I was asked about players playing certain positions, and at that time I said uh, uh, Jackson and uh, Juju had put on the defensive side of the ball. I think right now they have enough receivers. The other day I read one of your columns, they had 14 receivers on the field. They did, yeah. <laughs> at one time. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that's too many. I'm saying don't waste your talent. You've got to make sure, too, you have talent on both sides of the football. I know he's very exciting. Dory Jackson's a very exciting player on offense, but he's also a very exciting player on defense. And uh, I know a lot of people don't believe this anymore, but defense wins championships. Ask the Seattle Seahawks or, or any of these teams that are intimidating uh, on the defensive side of the football, and you have to match speed with speed because the game today is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, speed, 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 spread the field. You've got to have guys that can match that. So when I mentioned the Dory Jackson and Juju on the defensive side of the football, these are two five-star athletes that are great athletes. You've got five-star athletes on the offensive side of the ball. And one thing that has surprised me the most is the way the secondary during spring practice and Chris Hawkins and McCray and Suva Craven and, and Josh Shaw and the rest of the guys have really picked up their game. I would say that's the most improved uh, position at USC currently since Steve Sarkeesian took over. Not that the front seven isn't good, the linebackers, receivers, whatever, but I think they've really picked up their game. But I also think you've got to evaluate the incoming players. You've got uh, Plattenberg, you've got Simmons, you've got these other defensive backs who I really like, too, coming in. So I'll go back to my same old, and I'm not trying to play a political side of this, but you've got to get your athletes on the field, not only this year, but in the future. And it's not like you just got to win this year. You've got to win every year. And uh, I would look to see exactly where I needed him the most and where it helps the team the most. And he would, I'm sure, understand this because he wants to get on the field. And I wouldn't want to burn somebody else's time on offense that's a great player and he's not playing because you've got a phenomenal player. But, again, you've got to equalize your talent on both sides of the football. I think he's equal on both sides of the football. He's an exciting type of football player, as Juju Smith is. So you've got to take advantage. You've got to know you've got these type of players, and you've got to make sure they play. Maybe it'll be one on the other side one on one side. I don't know. But you've got to make sure that they are playing. You've got George Farmer, who's been practicing well. You've got Nelson Aguilar, who's actually a great leader out there. You've got Darius Rogers, who's a great receiver. You've got Stevie Mitchell. And, you know, Stevie Mitchell is just like Adore Jackson. People don't know about Stevie Mitchell. Now, Jackson's a step above. Like, you know, he's DeAnthony Thomas. And this, but Stevie Mitchell is a great player, too, and he's playing on the offensive side of the ball. So what do you do, bench Stevie Mitchell? So uh, who knows where he'll play, but that's why I said, and remember now, in football, in football, corners are getting more money and getting drafted sooner than receivers. So if you can play on the defensive side of the ball and cover guys, hey, you've got a future. So I, I didn't answer your question on why, but I tried to explain to you why I made that statement. Because I really didn't know at that time how the second day would step up. And right now, I still feel the same way. 
got to evaluate where the talent is and get that done. Now on Cody Kessler's situation on how he moves his level to the next level, I think Cody has just about reached his potential. I don't know how he gets any better. Uh, Cody had a great game in the Las Vegas Bowl. He's a great leader. Uh, he, I'm not going to say he's a scrambling uh, great athlete. I mean, I don't think he'd go out and run the 100 fast. I don't think he'd long jump very far. I don't think he could throw the javelin very far. I don't think he'd run on the 440 relay team. Uh, but he does one thing. He has leadership, and he can throw the football. He'd be a great baseball player, I'm sure, because he's got the speed to be an infielder or whatever he needs to play, and I'm sure he played that. Played basketball and was a tremendous athlete. Averaged like 28 points a game in Bakersfield. But, you know, he's got to, you've got to design an offense that fits Cody Kessler. You know, the other ones are a little bit different. Kevin Hogan at Stanford is good because of their running game, and he plays they play action pass a lot off of him. Mariota has his style, which is unbelievable athlete, throwing the ball and running the football. You've got all these different styles of all these quarterbacks that are in the Pac-12 conference. And Cody doesn't get the raves that these other guys are getting because Cody is more in a team type of situation that these other guys uh, are in. Cody is not the answer as far as the, the number one guy, like Mariota, Mariota and these other guys. But Cody is a, a capable quarterback. How far he can take the team, can he take him to a Pac-12 championship? I think it. Uh, depends on the defense and how well the other players do and the special teams. Is he a scrambler? Is he a, can he run? Uh, I think he can run good enough. Will they run option with him? Will they have him carry the ball? I think you have to teach him how, how to slide. I think you have to keep everybody the outside. You can't get let them always collapse at the inside on the read uh, offense. You've got to do that. Other teams do it, and Cody's going to have to do that. Can he break it for... 80 yards like the others? No. But you've got backs that can, but he can throw the ball and lead the team. So there are different limitations on every player. Uh, he's an intelligent kid. I think he'll do a great job, but we'll have to wait and see how it all comes together with the, the new SC program. So you you think as far as potential, he's kind of he's kind of there. Like by the end of the last season, he was playing well enough that this team – you know, they could keep it together and try to win the Pac-12 South or something like that the way he's playing now, or does he have to get a little better for that? Uh, I thought he had a great game in the Las Vegas Bowl. He played well. He played well enough in that game where they had domination and the team really showed spirit. Uh, I think they could win the Pac-12 South with the way he played in that game and step it up a little bit more. Uh, I think he's got better running ability than what people think he does, and I think you've got to risk that. You've got to risk that. you got Max Brown backing him up, and if you're going to run the read, then your quarterback's got to stretch the field. And if you don't stretch the field, they collapse on your backs, and then the, your great backs aren't going to break big plays. So you've got to do that and teach him how to slide. It, it can't be, oh, he'll never carry the ball. It's got to be, he will carry the ball. He might not go 80 yards, but he'll get 10 or 15. I can't remember what game that was last year. Maybe the Arizona game, he made a run down the sideline. I said, holy cow, he can run. Yeah. So, you know, uh, give him a chance, and I hope they do. You can't be too conservative in this game because if you are, you're, you're, you're shutting yourself down offensively. 
you've got to be able to open up the offense and do what it's designed to do, and that's spread the field and utilize great skilled players. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, Coach, he was a he could dunk when he was in the eighth grade. You mentioned he's you know scoring twenty eight points a game. I think he's more athletic and quicker with his feet than we really got to see last year. I think there was more limitations on what were put on him. So I am curious to see. You know, you want him to deal the football just like he's been doing it. I think he's been throwing well and been accurate. Um, but is there that element where it's third and six and he can pick up 10 or 15 on the ground uh, where you really weren't seeing that before? I think that could really make a big difference in this offense. Oh, it has to, and it would really be great when you do that too. And believe me, Lane Kiffin uh, didn't believe in ever using uh, the tight end last year. I mean, and, and the, uh, you utilize the tight end like Wilson had a great spring. I mean uh, – Tefla wasn't out there. Uh, Fitzpatrick was out there. I mean, utilize the tight end and spread the field and use all your players. And I'll tell you, you're tough to stop. Is there, I've, I'll tell you this now, and I'll tell you it again, and I say it every year, not only on this show but all the shows. If you take all the players in the Pac-12 and you, and you get all the head coaches, okay, and you throw all their numbers and we're going to do a draft, and whatever you pull out, you get to pick the roster of a team. I believe every single Pac-12 coach, if they were number one, ah, I get the first pick, I'd take the SC roster. So I'm just telling you that. Yet you read about, you know, these other things, that these other coaches have done a great job, but they're doing a great job of coaching too. Great job of coaching their talent. And that's what's key. Can Sarkeesian coach the great talent at USC and continually get talent? to continue this tradition that they have. Because now, when Pete Carroll came in, these some of these schools weren't very good. Stanford and Cal and Arizona, and Arizona State was so-so. And he had a couple of big games to win, and he won the Pac-12. He had a run of 30 or 40 games in a row. Now, to get through the Pac-12, hey, baby, you got a challenge. Look what Washington State did last year. And and they're going to get better with Mike Leach. And everybody else is better. Washington, Oregon State, Oregon, Arizona State, Arizona, UCLA. Tell me, the only teams maybe that you're, you know, that you hope you can count as a victory, hope, is uh, Colorado, Utah, and uh, Cal. But they're rebuilding. And, uh, you know, Stanford thought they could beat yeah. Utah, and they got beat last year, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, Stanford lost to Utah last year. So. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Pac-12 is a great conference. You can just walk in here and walk through this. I'd like to see a matchup with some of these other conferences, which they're doing now with the Big Ten, and the Big Ten's going to be sorry for it. They'll be, why would they be sorry for it? Because they're going to get their butts kicked. <laughs> I like it. All right, well, <laughs> we'll see what happens there, Coach. Um, Martin, you, know you know where the Big Ten's understanding it now? Look at the last hires from the Big Ten. Urban Myers, where'd he come from? This Florida. Is, yeah, yeah. Jeff Franklin, where'd he come from? Vanderbilt. Yeah. What conferences are that? The SEC. Southeastern Conference. They're starting now to get smart saying, hey, we got to do it like they do. So now you're starting to see the Big Ten saying, we're tired of this, and they're starting to get those type of head coaches, Okay. Well, they also added Maryland, Coach, and I saw a funny tweet about that where if the Big Ten is trying to increase their speed, they just added a turtle. So I don't know if that's going to help much. So I, I thought that was kind of funny. 
Well, what about Rutgers? <laughs> Rutgers too. No, just you know the the Terrapins. It's a turtle, and the the Big Tw- the Big oh, Ten's always known know. for not yeah. being the the fastest of fleetest of foot. And again, it goes back to the same thing. Why wouldn't they go in? Look at the money they're going to get. Yep. And the Big Ten looks at it as more media area, bigger television audience. So what does it come down to again? Money. Money. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Um, well, hey, Mart had a question. It was, it was very similar to the uh, the last one we talked about with the Dory Jackson, but I wanted to read it to you because I, I think it, it's it's a little bit different. He said, if you had a Dory Jackson on your team, which side of the ball would you have him play? Oh, he's trying to put me on the spot, huh? Yeah, so you're, so I guess it, it probably depends on who you have, but if you, I guess it's more about where do you think it would be best for him to play if you had equal talent on both offense and defense, and he could play either side. Well, let's say I didn't have SC's roster. Okay, let's let's make it realistic. Let's say I'm I'm a team where he's a he's a game breaker. Okay, he's a guy I want to touch the football every play if he can. Normally, you put him a quarterback, a guy like that. But to me, he'd be a running back or something like that. Not just a receiver, but he doesn't touch the ball enough. I'd want him to touch the ball all the time. He's explosive. He's a great player. He's got abilities you can't teach. He's just a natural athlete, and he's something special. So when you have something special like that, and I'm not looking at I'm looking at just my roster. I don't have uh, Allen. I don't have uh, Madden. I don't have these other running backs. I'm just looking at him. Well, on the offensive side of the football, if I'm looking at a great player, I'd have him touch the ball. If he was tall, he'd be my quarterback, depending on what level I'm coaching at. But if it's on the college level, this guy would touch the ball all the time because he's a big play guy. I would have screen passes to him, draw passes to him. He'd run sweep. We'd run option. We'd run the trap up the middle. You'd never know. They'd never even see him go by him. You don't even see traps anymore in college football. It's all read uh, because the guys are so big they can't trap. But uh, I'll tell you what, this kid, uh, and that's where Oregon played the Anthony Thomas. Yeah. I mean, really. Uh, they and they put him out of the back. They make him a receiver. He ran the ball, but they want him to touch the football. He's a home run, tr- home run threat. So you know that's what I would do if I, you know, I'm looking at myself with my own roster, which I don't have a uh, a Jackson on, or you know, or another player close to him. That's where he play. No, I think that makes sense, Coach. And uh, but maybe different. That would be best for your team, DeAnthony Thomas. I think it worked out really well for Oregon. Didn't work out as well for him in the draft for. Adore Jackson, I get the feeling that you'd probably rather have him just play quarterback if you're talking corner. as If you're talking about his NFL future, that might be the best way, have him play three years at corner in college. You know, uh, when you look at the future, uh, corner is a position he, sh- he should be playing if you're just thinking NFL. Uh, because you do have great players. You have great running backs at USC. Buck Allen, I mean, really, and all these others. I mean, please. Buck Allen would be in the game and never come out as far as I'm concerned. He would look at me after a 30-yard run. I'd say, well, so what? Get back in there and run it again. <laughs> and uh, But, uh, you know, you're fortunate to have those type of players there. And if he goes 80 yards, uh, then rest on the defensive series and get back in there again. Uh, it's all part of getting used to the system and the timing and the confidence of the players. So... Yeah, uh, Dory, I think, is a great player, and uh, right now uh, that's what I'd do because uh, 
of all the other talent on the offensive side of the football available. All right, and then we got one last one for you, Coach, from Patrick. He says, I'm a football fan, but I've always been confused with all the terminology regarding wide receivers. A couple of years ago, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee switched roles from flanker and split end wide receiver positions uh, from, from the previous year. How does that change their roles in the offense? Can you clarify the different roles for the wide receiver position for me? Like, what exactly do you call a possession receiver? How about a slot receiver? Um, thanks, fellas. Really appreciate all the great work. And that's from Patrick. All right. Uh, it, it, it's really simple. And, you know, but every all the coaches have made it so complicated because they want everybody to think they're so much smarter. But for the people that played football, do you remember XYZ? That's where it used to be. XYZ. The X was the split receiver. The Y is the tight end. And uh, XYZ is a flanker. So if you wanted Z in the slot, that's the guy between the wide receiver, the X, Z would go over in the slot. So it would be X, Z, Y. Then the H-back came in. They call it the H-back. That's the tight end who moves. The back goes on the line of scrimmage, and the, and, the, and the tight end comes back off the line of scrimmage, or you substitute him, and he's the guy that goes in motion and leads on plays. Or sometimes we called flip. We'd come out and be in a right, and we'd say right, flip, which would mean the tight end wouldn't come out in a right set. Flip meant, if we use the term flip, that when the quarterback set, the tight end would go over on the other side. And by him going over on the other side, then the X would move back and become a Z, and the Z would become an X because you change your strong side of your formation to the weak side of formation by simply flipping your tight end. Then we used to tell our tight end flex, and we used to have rules of three yards, five yards, or ten yards flex, which would, if we wanted our tight end to flex out, to put a big receiver out there, we would say flex, so we say right flex, call the play. That means the tight end, when he comes out of the huddle, you either move him out there or he lines up flexed which means he is now outside in a slot, or you could have a double slot type of formation. So it's easy terms. It just sounds complicated. So you got all these different terms, which tells the people where to line up. Uh, We used to say right over. Now right over would tell the left tackle that he's going to go over and play next to the the left tackle would go over and play next to the right tackle to be an unbalanced line. And we would do that occasionally, but the defense wouldn't spot it. The defense would still line up on the same tackle that he was lining up, and we'd run a play that way. Or we'd say right over, or you could say left over, and the right tackle would go line up next to the left tackle. And we'd run a play to the strong side or wedge it on short yardage situation or go back to the weak side or most of the time, they never adjusted. The strong safety would stay over with the tight end because he thought he didn't even understand that we flexed it over and we needed a support, so the free safety was over towards the overside where we could run off tackle. So there's a lot of things that you can make terms and teach your kids terms, and we used to teach all these terms to our players before we even put a ball on the field. So they felt very comfortable that when you said right over, or flex, or whatever you said, they knew exactly who they were, 
or where they can line up. And you can run every single play almost you have in your offense with that, except your tight end, when you flex him out, it's tough to run off tackle as far as power game or toss game. And that's why I always say, why do you run toss to the weak side? I like to see toss go to the strong side and the fullback on the safety or whatever you have to do. Okay. All right. Well, great stuff, Coach. Thanks for that. We always love the football one-on-one questions. They're good to get to. Uh, every once in a while, make sure you send them those questions, podcast at uscfootball.com, and uh, we'll uh, do our best to get to each and every one of them and answer them. So thanks for sending those in. And thank you, Coach, for uh, coming on the show again. It was great. Thanks again, Ryan. Have a great week. All right. You too. Everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. we got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, I'm not uh, doing good. Yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff going on around USC. Actually, there's going to be a workout later today, Dan. This will be our last USC summer workout of 2014 where we cannot interview players. So the next workout... Players are on, you know, they're uh, they're able to be interviewed, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's Thursday, so we're looking forward to that and uh, see what they had to say. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you, you watch them in a different way, knowing you can't talk to them, and, and there are guys, you know, maybe a walk on here or there that you say, "Gosh, I wonder who that is," you know, <laughs> and uh, nobody knows, and you can't really ask anybody at this point. So, uh, um, but uh, you know, it's been a, a, just a different little uh, challenge in, in terms of of coverage but uh it gets you to look at different things and uh you know pay attention i think it's good in some ways that you have to get everything you know during the practice because there's not going to be anything to catch up on after practice so <laughs> it's a kind of a different way of uh, looking at it and, and, and you know not the worst thing in the world all right uh, it, it's kind of mixed things up a little bit this summer well at, at the end if people remember at the end of the last podcast was following Twitter as we were talking, and this four-year scholarship thing kind of broke. Uh, so we want to discuss it more. We talked, you know, with Harvey Hyde a little bit about. It. We want to get with with you as well. Melvin had a question. I think we can start it off with. And uh, if you if you know the show, Melvin does like to ask a lot of questions, and usually there are several parters. But I'll I'll read you this part of what he had about um, the four-year scholarships. He said, "I just read Pat Hayden will now offer four-year scholarships instead of one-year renewable." Is that a good or bad thing for the football program? It definitely is good for the kids who now can be assured of a chance at a four-year education regardless of grades uh, regardless of grades on the field. And he wants to know what happens if for a basketball kid if he's one and done or if a f- football kid leaves before his senior year. So he has some questions on that. Well, I think they've made the commitment and I think they the number is up to like two hundred and fifty now of guys who have come back who left before their time was up and USC 
uh, has made the commitment that they'll always, uh, you know, help them, uh, you know, get their degree. So, uh, and we do see, a, you know, a number of those guys coming back uh, after the NFL and getting their degrees. So, uh, so that one was probably already in place, and I don't know if that changes anything there. And I, I don't think it really changes much for USC. Now, if you're a program like, I don't know, Alabama, and you've recruited in the last five years 137 guys or whatever, uh, you know, and you're only allowed to have 85 at any one time, uh, that's probably going to change how you do business if you gave four-year scholarships because you'd be, you know, uh, there are 10 or 11 kids a year that you recruit that you don't expect to be there for the whole time. Uh, but USC's never done that. You know, they've really always been under the under the mark and, uh, you know, has have no history whatsoever of running guys off. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, I think the upside is it looks, you know, it looks good competitively. USC's first year back with a full 25 scholarships and the ability to, to guarantee kids that, you know, through no fault of their own possibly, maybe they're just not good enough or the coaches change or whatever, you know, you're not going to get run off. So, uh, so, you know, I don't think it hurts USC because they really haven't haven't been running anybody off uh, in USC. Even in, in these current, you know, NCAA sanctioned circumstances, hasn't tried to do that, and uh, it's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. So, it's just not been, you know, a part of the culture at USC. So, in effect, I think USC's kind of always been doing that. So, uh, you know, there you go. I, I, I don't. I think it's nothing but a but a benefit, and probably no no real downside to, to USC doing it. Yeah, I agree, and it's you know it's more of a PR thing than anything. There was uh, you know Iman Marshall, it's a five star cornerback that tweeted game changer, which you know it's great, but I don't technically I don't think it's a game changing kind of move. It's it's great PR, but like you said, this is not a program that's been oversigning. They're not running people off, and 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 most of his questions regarded like it's not a four year lockdown thing like. You know, a basketball player can still be one and done. It does that doesn't matter. It, you know, a, a kid can transfer to another school. You're not locked in for four years. It's just the scholarship. Instead of having to renew it every year, it's you can have it for four years. Now, grades can. You know, he mentioned grades. Actually, um, it's not regardless of grades. Like if you don't, if you fail, you don't get the scholarship. So you you still have to keep everything kosher on uh, you know academic wise. And if you do something. You know, you get a an effect, you commit a felony or something like that, then you can still, you know, be kicked. So you have to keep your nose clean and you have to get good grades and then that'll be renewed. Yeah, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, you, you turn out not to be as good as, as they had hoped or something like yeah. that. They're not going to run you off uh, here where that might not be the case at some other places where, uh, you know, you find a, a, a horse's head in your bed and the dorm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And a suggestion that maybe you should be trying, uh, you know, a, a an FCS school, uh, and you know, here's the uh, here's your bus ticket, um, and so or, uh, you know, and some of the things that you do here where people stop getting tutors, for example, things like that, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're really struggling. Uh, that just doesn't happen at USC. So, the numbers are such that, you know, I think uh, it's just, you know, kind of a staggering difference in terms of, uh, I think USC had recruited 102 players the last five years of Pete Carroll's tenure. Uh, 
2005 through 2009 where Alabama or recruited signed uh, 102, same as Notre Dame, and I think Alabama had signed 137. You know, now 102 over five years gets you to about 85 with natural attrition. 137 <laughs> doesn't get you to 85 with natural attrition. So, uh, you know, that's not a place where USC is. Makes sense. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that, Melvin. And uh, uh, let's go to Kyle. We actually, um, Kyle wrote this in, and we were talking about it uh, last show about the scholarship numbers. And I think we had a question on um, early enrollees and how many you can take. And we felt that, you know, with USC going from 75 to 85, that might be, you know, 10 extra early enrollees. But Kyle looked it up, and he's been really good about uh, checking the, the rules here. And I forgot to check it myself, so we'll, we'll trust what Kyle's saying here. He said, the limit of 15 initial grants in aid and 75 total grants apply to the entire academic year. The original sanctions went uh, from 2011-2012. 2012, 2013, and 2013, 2014, but it was moved back one year because of the appeal. So the 75 limit goes until the upcoming academic year has completed. Therefore, the way he reads it is that it can't add up to 85 scholarships, including the mid-years. It's just going to be 75 with the early graduates. So if that's true, and I, you know, I believe Kyle when he was looking this up, if that's the case, Dan. USC, I think, by our scholarship chart, has 72 players on scholarship right now. So that's at least three early enrollees you can bring in, plus any player that graduates early, and we know there's at least three of those. So, I mean, I, it, it still looks like the number is, you know, five, six, likely more uh, spots you could bring in early enrollees. So I, I still don't think it's going to be an issue, but it won't be virtually unlimited like it would be if it was the 85 versus the 75. Yeah, I think uh, Kyle is correct that uh, all of those restrictions, the only exception to a full year-long you know, adherence to the number uh, or only adjustment that you can make are for mid-year graduates. So uh, the 75 still says 75, but the only way you can add to that, uh, uh, the 75 that you have in the fall, is if uh, some of those 75 graduate in the middle of the year, then you can replace them with uh, early enrollees who still don't get you over the 75 number. But that's the, yeah, that's the only adjustment that you can, uh, and it looks like you can make to the, uh, to the sanctions and to the rule and to the numbers is you can replace the um, graduates in mid-year, uh, you know, in the second semester. So, so that'll, you know, that'll matter, and it has mattered, you know, in the past uh, when they were counting on a couple of guys to graduate, and they didn't, and there were a couple of uh, early entries uh, that you really you couldn't get. Uh, so, uh, so we'll have to see how that goes, and, and that you won't know until, you know, late, late in the year, and it makes it a real interesting timing situation between knowing for sure their guys graduated at the end of the first semester and having a somebody in there to replace him for the second semester so i think a half a dozen number is about about right that's a manageable number you go past that and it's hard to find you know six more than six kids that you really want that are also able to come uh you know in the spring yeah certainly dan and i think the the one thing that usc fans should you know realize we we touched on this last week 
the reason for the class of 2015, any early enrollees you'd want to bring in solely would be for the reason of getting them on campus early, getting them started with their academic careers. And of course, you know, weight room and, and athletics, um, you know, working out with the football team and the trainers and all that kind of stuff. There isn't any, you're not going to get any extra players this year with early enrollees because USC signed a completely full class for the class of 2014. There's no initial scholarships left over that an early enrollee bringing them in would get you an extra scholarship. There's going to be 25 that you can sign. Any ones that you bring in early, it's solely going to be for getting them on campus early. You can't get to 26 or 27 or 28 by bringing in any early enrollees in 2015. Right, yeah, 25 is the number, and the advantage is just having them here, getting them started, getting them into spring practice, uh, that kind of thing. I think we've seen you know, that that might, might matter for um, – uh, say a Toa Lobodon, you know, uh, this year having having been able to to be here for spring, you know, spring ball. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, it's 25. All right, uh, we, let's go up to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Garrett in Seattle, he says for Dan, is the off-season weight training program mandatory for players? It seems as though our guys are having a hard time adding some much-needed weight to their frames compared to programs such as Stanford and Alabama. For example, guys like Max Turek, Chad Wheeler, Jabari Ruffin, Quentin Powell, who have been in the program for a couple of years already, seem to have a hard time adding weight. Even someone like Leonard Williams, as good as he is, doesn't look like he's added much muscle during his time at USC. One can only imagine how much more dominant he would be if he got bigger and stronger. Why are they having... Such a hard time bulking up. That's again from Garrett in Seattle. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure it's it, it's the weight program uh, as much. I think they're stronger. They're clearly they're they're faster. They're in better shape. They finish these practices not even breathing hard. I mean, I saw them the other day, and we're not allowed to watch the uh, the actual conditioning work that they do outside. But you can, you know, if you happen to be there and they're walking across the street. And last year, these were longer, harder practices than last year, and, and you see guys not breathing hard. Last year, they would have been, you know, crawling across the street after some of these workouts. So um, I don't necessarily, you know, see that as an issue. Um, I'm not sure with the way they're going to play, you want or they want a big, bulked-up, you know, team. I mean, they're taking the wide splits. And they're going to run, you know, hopefully 85 plays a game. And they're going to run them, boom, 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 you know, one right after another. So I'm not sure, you know, this team wants to be uh, an Alabama or a Stanford, you know, lookalike. Uh, uh, those teams play the way they do. USC in the past kind of was trying to, to be a little bit like those teams. Uh, didn't, you know, seem to know how to recruit or coach to those, you know, that, that standard. But uh, but I think this is a I think this is a team. For example, I mean it's unbelievable. You watch Leonard Williams in one of these summer practices, and here's a guy, you know, six four plus two ninety plus, and say a break between a play, and he'll run you know fifty sixty yards to get to the water, you know, get a drink of water, and dash back, full go all the way. I mean running hard both directions to get back, you know, and not miss a play. And uh, you just don't normally see that with guys. So this is a different kind of, uh, uh, you know, a team where, you know, I think they'd like to put a little bit of weight 
I mean, Wheeler has put on a, a good bit of weight. I mean, if he came in at whatever, two, you know, barely 230, I think, 235, and uh, probably, you know, put on close to 60 pounds. So, uh, but one of the issues UFC has is they've got guys that are, you know, 6'6", 6'6", 6'7", and 6'9", who could be starting, you know, across that, you know, that offensive front. And uh, I'm not sure you really want to put a lot of bulk on guys, you know, with those kinds of frames. Uh, so, you know, get them to 300, yeah. Get them to 295, yeah. I'm not sure they're trying to get them a whole lot, uh, you know, above, you know, those marks. Uh, so I, I think they look pretty good to me. Uh, and and I wouldn't judge their strength by, uh, you know, by how much bulk they have or how much, you know, weight they're carrying. A guy like Leonard Williams has a, a you know kind of a different kind of athleticism and strength, and uh, uh, I I kind of like the way they're doing it, and uh, and I don't have a sense that that other than you know Chad and, and Max, you'd like to see them be able to be uh, to get uh, you know right up to that 300 pound mark, but uh, other than those two, and I think that's a, that's more more diet than 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 strength work. Um, all right, thanks for that one. Yeah, but I, I do agree. It's uh, it's it's not really about. I don't think Leonard Williams needs to be any bigger than he is. I mean, maybe at the next level if they want to move him around or different positions. But I think he's a an effective size. He's not someone they just need to keep adding muscle to. Uh, so it, it really does kind of uh, depend on all that. But we'll see. There's also a new strength and conditioning uh, program installed now. So I think you know we might see some of these bodies change. But like like Dan said. It's really going to be about an up tempo. We we've been seeing it through all these workouts and some and spring ball. It's a higher tempo, so I don't think you know getting bigger, bulky guys is is going to be the norm. No, especially with the the length these guys have. I mean, I I don't know that I've or we've ever seen a college uh, offensive line that 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 could be as tall as this offensive line. I mean, this is a it's going to be interesting to see. Um, how they, you know, handle the, the, when we see it. I mean, unfortunately for the, you know, folks, what you saw in the spring game had very little to do with where where they were going or where where they are actually. Uh, but uh, I'll be interested to see how this uh, plays out, you know, against other opponents with that many big rangy people who are really going to block people's, you know, lines of sight and, and vision, and uh, and still. You know, you've got some pretty athletic, uh, uh, you know, and pretty, you know, pretty big guys. I mean, uh, it's not like they're going with a, with a small offensive line, uh, but uh, but it's just a little different looking one. And uh, uh, I'll be, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. But I, I think the one thing we know is they look like they can run all day, and uh, and that'll be interesting. I think how uh, how that plays out. It definitely will be. Uh, let's see. Let's go to. Um, we'll go to, got a different question. Andrew had a question. He wanted to know, how is Anthony Brown looking? And he says, is he still with the program? So I think Andrew might've been watching some of our photo galleries and videos. And so it's an interesting question, Dan. We haven't seen him. There are a few guys we haven't seen. Uh, we're still in kind of what they, I think, consider the first part of, uh, of the, you know, summer workouts. So, and since we're not allowed to go, I mean, we hear about guys being at the, uh, you know, the conditioning workouts, the early morning workouts, uh, you know, the inside workouts. 
Uh, and so that's, but we haven't seen him outside yet. So we don't know. I mean, he's not, he's one of three or four, you know, guys like that. Ryan Henderson, we haven't seen. Uh, um, uh, Jabari Ruffin, we haven't seen. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't, uh, you know, Sark is not a big proponent of talking much about, you know, guys' rehab and how it's going or where their injuries have them or, or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, there are guys, you know, that we haven't seen and uh, are not sure, you know, what to make of that. One of the, the you know, the, the good thing, this team does seem to have more depth. I mean, last year, if those guys weren't around, you'd have really been – kind of worried about, you know, who's, who's next in line or what do we do here? And um, with this team, there are guys that are next in line and, uh, uh, and they can still, you know, make it work uh, with as fast as they're going, as many plays as they're running. They can still run, you know, a couple of deep with guys that can play. Uh, but uh, you're right. There are guys we haven't seen. We'll be able to ask about them starting Thursday if they're not there. And, you know, whether we'll be able to get those kinds of answers that, that we need, we don't know. But, uh, yeah, we're not probably going to get a lot of information uh, from, uh, you know, from the program about guys who we don't see and are assumed to be rehabbing. So we'll keep you up to date on whatever we can find out there. Uh, thanks for that question, Andrew. Uh, one last one. It's a, it's a Melvin one again. Um, this is kind of interesting, though. He says, how do the coaches evaluate and eventually pick who the players are that will play on special teams? I realize you have specialists like kickers, re- your returners, and long snappers and holders, but how does the coaches choose all the other players? My perception is it's a lot of second and third team players play on special teams, but I know I'm not accurate that assumption, so I'm very curious as how they pick those players for special teams. Uh, you know, I think it's, it really matters uh, on you know who the coaches are. Uh, you know, what their philosophy is. And we don't know with Johnny Nansen, uh, you know, taking uh, John Baxter's place. We don't really know uh, what his philosophy is there. Uh, you know, do you go with uh, some of the times USC personnel-wise was, you know, kind of forced to go with, you know, some of the starters? Um, I don't think that'll be as much the case now. I think they've got more uh, guys who can, you know, do a pretty good job there and give guys a chance who are, you know, maybe the, this, you know, on coverage teams, the second team guys. Uh, and so I'm, I'm tending to think, you know, they'll go that way. Some of it will be the philosophy of, you know, what do you intend to do, you know, on kickoffs? You know, are you going to keep directionally kicking it to the, the flag and, and trying to pin them down in there? And do you have different, per, you know, personnel for that? Then if you, um, you know, kick it, just say kick it away and try to kick it out of the end, kick it into the end zone or out of the end zone, and what do you do if, um, you know, you kick it down the middle, but they return it? And you have different personnel, you know, for that. Uh, I, I don't think we'll go. I, I really don't. Um, so uh, we'll, we saw them uh, uh, do the uh, uh, place kicking, uh, field goal kicking, which was integrated into the uh, offensive work. And uh, that didn't seem to be any different uh, in terms of personnel, uh, but uh, haven't seen uh, haven't seen much of it, like kick block stuff and, and that kind of thing. Uh, no uh, punt return, uh, any kind of punt return team uh, work and all of that. So uh, so uh, that's a good question, and it's one to be answered, not one that we really have the answer for. Uh, but that uh, that I think uh, a lot of it is uh, what guys are ready to almost play, and 
you really trust, and they will make a play in the open field, either blocking or uh, or tackling. And who you know who who would you like to get out there, but maybe you don't get in in the regular rotation, uh, and give them a chance. Um, you know who do you trust? And uh, I think they that has to kind of be developed um, through the fall. It does. It, it you know we've seen different philosophies where there's certain teams they'll have all starters out there and other teams i mean and it, you know it could depend on depth uh, you know at a place like alabama like you said that they sign so many guys and they're you know right at the 85 limit all the time you might have four and five star guys that just can't get on the field right now and it's a it's a great opportunity on special teams and other teams that aren't as deep you might not be able to have that luxury it just kind of depends you have you know walk-ons get involved and and that's a, a place for it's a place for guys to to make their name and, and try to get an opportunity to play on, on defense or offense as well. But it's it's really an interesting philosophy, and I think we might even see it change a little bit, Dan, as USC transitions from having somewhere in the 60s as far as scholarships go to try and get back up into the 80s. You might see the philosophy change. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a good way to get guys on the field and, and really keep them involved and knowing that you're next in line anyway – uh, and and giving you a chance to you know go out there and make some plays and get some experience. So I you know I think you'll see some of that. Uh, I don't think there's any question. But uh, you know USC still won't have the kind of luxuries. I still remember a long time ago covering Kentucky, and Florida came in when Florida was just starting to be Florida. And I do remember, and they had so many high school kids in the state of Florida and so many walk-ons and. All of that, and I still remember they came in and they had a, uh, and they kind of I think they announced in the they had a they had a long field goal kicker, a short field goal kicker, a long punter, and a short punter on the depth chart. I mean, they basically had four different kickers, and you can do that in some places, you know, where they you just have, you know, a great walk-on program, and they have so many guys, and they don't have to, you know, give them scholarships. But uh, uh, I think Nebraska built their program around, uh, around, uh, you know, an unbelievable walk-on program. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, in the old days you could do that a little more than you can now, but, uh, but now you always have to do it more if you want to try to do stuff like that, because you really do have that, you know, 85 scholarship limit. And it's not like, uh, when they had 105 and they were still doing things like that, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, uh, I think it would be interesting. I think that's going to be something that we really don't know how it's going to play out because of the, you know, the changing coaching staff, changing, maybe changing philosophy, and uh, USC's changing personnel numbers. Uh, you know, in, in some ways we think, you know, they're better. And, you know, often and it looks like it when you see the number of guys that look like they could get on the field. But numbers-wise, USC's really not going to be any better off than they were you know, a year ago in terms of just, you know, ultimate numbers. But uh, uh, how that plays out, I don't know. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We had a bunch of good questions again this week, and we'll uh, continue to follow USC Summer Workouts and next time uh, be able to talk to players in the next workout. So we got to work out again tonight. We'll see you out there, and we'll talk to you again soon. Very good. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Dan. Everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.